Good morning. Happy Easter to you all. Um, if Easter is kind of a new thing to you and you're not sure why we're all jazzed up, um, the reason why is Easter Sunday is important because it makes every other day of our life important. So that's why we're super excited to be here. That's why we're celebrating Easter with such enthusiasm because this day makes every other day of our life important. <clears throat> um, Let's see how y'all doing this. Jordan tried it earlier. It sounded like it didn't work out, but I feel like because he warmed you up, y'all are going to be ready for it. Um, back in the very first century, whenever they would walk around, they would, they would look at each other and they would, say, uh, they would say to each other, he is risen, and then there was an answer that people would say. Uh, let's see if y'all got it, and it was a way kind of, of, of identifying each other as Christians. So I say, he is risen. And he is risen indeed. You're right on there. That was close. Indeed, part of it. Indeed's part of it. So... But dude, you're right there, man. You're right there. I love it. You, were, you went for it. That's the big thing is you went for it. Anyway, um, so here's the deal. I know at Remedy, we, we keep it relatively tame and um, too much interaction in sermons a lot of times can make everyone kind of nervous. Uh, but I'll say this. If, if there's ever a day for some amens, if there's ever a day for some yes and deeds or preach it or praise God, praise Jesus, any of those kinds of things, I think today is probably the day. So um, you can come on. We can go with that one. Whatever you feel, whatever you feel good with. Um, just make sure it's spirit led, um, because he is risen. That, y'all are getting there. I mean, let, let me talk to you a couple things. As Crowder would say, "Ain't no grave gonna hold him down." As Duck Dynasty would say, "He gone." Or maybe just as angels say it in Mark chapter sixteen. Um, it says, they say, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, past tense. So he is risen. He is risen. We're getting there. That's better. Y'all, y'all can feel free to scream it, but here's the deal. Um, eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead, but today we're alive. That's what we're celebrating. So I'm going to pray. I've been given a pretty short amount of time to preach, and I have more pages of notes than I think I've ever had on a sermon. So I'm going to have to go through this fast. I had to skip stuff first service, but um, I'm going to I'm going to pray. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 16. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. That's the second half. Um, Matthew, Mark. It's the second book. You can open up to chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, look underneath you. There's one of those little blue and white ones. Use that. As a matter of fact, keep that. We want you to have it. You'll notice as you're picking up that Bible, um, you'll perhaps see one of these books here. It says The Journey. Take that with you. We've got tons of these. This is a Bible reading plan that we are using for the entire year. You can see that there's a Bible reading plan every six days. Um, and on the seventh day, there's a place to write sermon notes. Feel free to find wherever we are uh, in April in this book and start writing sermon notes. Take this with you. Read through the Bible. We're actually using this as what we're preaching through the entire year. So if you're reading along with this, you're, you're getting everything that we're going to be preaching on each Sunday. Take it with you. If you want more, find us. We'll give you more. Um, but as I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. We're just going to be in verses 1 through 8 because verses 9 through 20, which is another sermon, I don't believe Mark wrote. So that's a whole different deal. So um, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, unmistakable, shocking truth that we get to come here and worship. Not at all what the disciples expected, and as we look at it today, um, even though it wasn't what they expected, it absolutely radically changed the way they lived their lives. And what a glorious, glorious truth for us to be able to talk about. And we celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything for us. Every day is now important because of this day, the day we celebrate Christ's resurrection. Be with me, Lord. I pray for your help. There's no way that I can preach anything or say anything without your help. So I pray that you would come now, Holy Spirit, and fill me and speak through me. And that every word I say would be true. Every word I I say would be precise. Every word I say would be helpful for all of us. If there's anyone here as they hear this message this morning that doesn't know Jesus, that's not a believer in Christ, either knowingly or unbeknownst to them, that you would save them. I pray that you would come now and regenerate their heart. Um, make them be born again, that they would hear this message of Christ coming and dying for us on the cross and being resurrected and saved them. And for those that are believers, God, I pray that their faith would be strengthened as we all hear this great message of the resurrection of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So let's just start out with the bottom line. Um, Here's the deal. We're talking about this morning a man just like you and I. A man in his humanity just like you and I. Of course, he was God also. That was dead that came back to life. That's, That's pretty different. That's not something any of us is likely have ever experienced in our life. And not only that are we talking about that, further, um, we are grounding as Christians our entire belief system, the entire religion of Christianity is grounded on this simple fact that we believe that this particular man died and was resurrected three days later, or roughly 36 hours, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's the three days. So as Christians, we are banking everything on this, that a man literally died and then 36 hours later came back to life and he is still alive today forever. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that everything that we're doing is pointless. Everything. He actually says, then we should eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. So if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, Every Sunday we get here is a pointless endeavor. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says this, either Christianity is of absolutely no importance, that's if the resurrection isn't true, or it is of, of infinite importance. That means the resurrection is true. Meaning this, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It cannot be moderate. You can't just say, well, that seems to be true, but doesn't do anything. If the resurrection is true, then it is of infinite importance for every single person. In our, everything in our life must be changed and must be radically shaped around that particular truth. If it's not true, then it's of absolutely no importance to us at all. But because it did happen, which I'll argue later with, I think, good evidence, here's what it does mean for us. It means, number one, that there is a God. Not only that, that there is a God, that Jesus Christ is that said God. Not only that, it means that the Bible is also true because it speaks of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is God. Not only that, it means that heaven and hell are absolutely real. And lastly, it means this, that Jesus makes the absolute difference on whether we actually go to heaven or hell. And he is by, the only means by which we can know um, heaven or hell is only as it says in John fourteen six, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there is no way to heaven besides Jesus. There are not, it's not a mountain where you can get to the top and all religions kind of take their own path up to the same thing. It's Jesus or nothing. So the resurrection is huge for us. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 16 and you'll never guess what it's about. The resurrection. I knew you wouldn't know. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Um, And I I want you to see two imperatives. Imperatives means these are things that you absolutely must do. Because the resurrection is true, there are two things you must absolutely do. Um, But before we get that, I want to briefly talk a little bit about the resurrection and give us our options on the resurrection. What are the kind of three and only three options about the resurrection? And then we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. Christianity stands or falls stands or falls on this particular truth, the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not just a resurrection of spirit, but his body also being resurrected. If there is no resurrection bodily of Jesus, then there is no Christianity. It's just nothing. So there's three options for us. The first is that the resurrection is just false. It means that the disciples literally pulled the best hoax in history ever. They just pull the wool over all of our eyes, and they have fooled us all. That's one option. Or that it's fiction, meaning that over the last 2,000 years, ancient mythology has just let this story get more and more and more and more embellished. It's either it's, it's false because the disciples pulled a big hoax, or it's fiction. They didn't try to pull a hoax. It's just mythology has morphed into this thing. So it's either false, fiction, or the last. It's fact. It's one of those particular three. And if it's fact, it means that the resurrection, don't miss this, the resurrection is the supreme event in all human history. There is no greater event that can ever happen other than the resurrection. And the New Testament then accurately records this historical, supernatural, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that his resurrection was, as I said, it was bodily and it was permanent, meaning he never died again. 
He was raised from the li- to life and still lives forever in heaven. So let's look at Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And as we're, we're just going to walk through those eight verses, I'm going to read it uh, first. And then as we go through it, I want you to see two imperatives that are given to the, the women. And these two imperatives, as they're given for us to them, are given to us as well. Let's read. And I'm going to do my best to just read it and not try to talk. Um, when the Sabbath, that's, I already broke it, that's Saturday. But I'm not going to break it anymore because you didn't, might not have known that Sabbath was Saturday and that we're actually on Sunday here. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That very, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the, st- the, tomb, the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. <clears throat> and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So let's, let's kind of walk through these eight verses. We'll, we'll go through it decently quick. And there's two things that I want you to see. They will not be on the screen behind me. Just want you to listen. It's Easter Sunday. Unclick your pen, put it down and not, enjoy this. So as much as you can. So um, first of all, in verse one, you see Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. So you've got the Marys walking up to the tomb. Now this is just to start off with a quite interesting thing of all people to come and be the first witnesses. It's just like God. You gotta love the way that God decides to let his history unfold. He lets the two Marys, two women, come be the witnesses. Now remember, in the first century, women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a courtroom. And God decides, I don't care what that says, I'm gonna let the first witnesses be women. Now, we have to say, if this is just some hoax that the disciples have decided to cook up, This is awful planning. They know that no one's going to believe any testimony of any women because it's the entire culture. But God, infinitely more awesome than we could ever imagine, says, I'm going to send two women to be the first witnesses anyway. So this just dispels any notion that the disciples cooked. Well, this is leading up to the evidence that would dispel any notion that the disciples cooked up some evidence because they would have not sent women to be the first witnesses. They would have sent men to be the first witness. So you gotta love, you gotta love God sending the Marys there um, to, to go. And it says that they bought spices and this, these buying spices for them to go to embalm the body of Jesus. They didn't get a much chance to do it on that Friday night. He was, he was crucified from roughly 9 a.m. on Friday to about 3 p.m. He, he was on the cross for just six hours, which is a very short time uh, for people. Usually they lasted days. The Romans had perfected the art of killing people over a long period of time. And Jesus died in six hours because he decided to die. He said, it's finished going to commend up my spirit. And he chose when he, he chooses when he even dies. At 3 p.m. they take him down. He eventually is starting to get dark. They put him in the grave. They didn't have enough time because it was approaching the Sabbath. They didn't have enough time to do everything they wanted to to the body. So as soon as nightfall happened on the Sabbath Saturday, they could go make commerce. So as soon as it's nightfall, the Sabbath was officially over. They go buy spices. As soon as the the sun's starting to come up, some versions in the Bible say it's still kind of dark and they're walking. Maybe the sun's coming up as they're walking. The women go. They buy spices. They're wanting to go finish the embalming of the body to anoint Jesus. It says they went very early on the first day of the week, that Sunday when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And it says this in verse three, and they were saying to, this is so funny to me, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? If you look at the end of verse four, it says, dash, it was very large. These are women, not big, huge, strong, muscular women, obviously. They're 
incapable of moving the stone. If you look over in Matthew's account, Pilate had given the order, seal up the tomb and make it as secure as possible. Maybe the funniest you know, verse in the Bible. Ha ha, Pilate. Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, so these women are discussing. And I just love that they're the kind of women that says, um, or the kind of people even, that we're going to figure it out when we get there. You know, we're, we're walking up there. None of us can move that stone. Eh, we'll just go anyway. We'll figure it out when we get there. Those are, they're the kind of people that figure it out when we get there kind of people and the kind of people that aren't like that that frustrate the rest of them. You know, like, I, I can't, how do you, can you just figure it out when you get there? Some of you are type A'ers, would never, ever do that. But I just love that the women are walking there. They clearly had no plan whatsoever. They're going to figure it out when they get there, uh, but they're just going to go anyway. Remember, they don't know yet. They just, in their mind as they're walking, Jesus is dead. They know that this, um, in their mind, uh, stone is very large. They have no possible way to move it. And they're just, well, we'll, we'll figure out when we get there. I don't know. <laughs> I just love that they just follow that anyway. But then it says in verse 4, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Boom! Problem solved. High fives. You know, fist bumps. As it does on Big Hero. Everything's good. Like, we got it. Everything's good. It's open. Let's go get the job done. And so they're walking up. Perfect. Problem solved. I knew... I, People always stress and have to have a plan. We knew. We knew it would be fine. We, no big deal. Um, so you don't have to have a plan. No, that's not the point of the sermon anyway. So anyway, we get here and we see that it was very large. No problem. They get in there. And verse 4 to verse 5 is this, is this huge transition for them. Because at the end of verse 4, they're walking in. They, they're absolutely sad. Christ is dead. Um, they're not alarmed. They're not scared. They're mourning the, the, the passing of their king. Verse 5. <sighs> Everything changes. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man. Now, um, Mark is being quite concise. Uh, If you look at all of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, there's actually two people there, not just one. And it's not a man, it's actually two angels. And so Mark is just choosing to pick the spokesperson of the two who actually speaks. And so there's a young man sitting there. But if you read all of them together, it's two angels that are sitting there. Matthew tells us that it was actually one of the angels that rolled the tomb back. Um, And I imagine angels are pretty strong. So uh, that's how the tomb got moved. So the angel moved it and they walk up there. And it says that they walked in. Entering the tomb, they saw this young man sitting on the right side. Now, um, it's... There, as I said, two angels, and that's just God meeting the, the Old Testament testimony of there needs to be two, witness, two witnesses to verify the truth. And so the Lord, keeping with that custom, sends two angels to both to give the truth of this testimony. Um, it's just an, how, another kind of detail about how awesome God is. And as they enter, this is where things for them get um, really, really crazy. Now, the English doesn't necessarily do it a whole lot of justice. The English could not put it any more lightly when it says, they entered the tomb, they saw the young man sitting on the side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. This is possibly the lightest way that you can say um, how they felt. Um, as a matter of fact, the same verb that's being used there as Mark writes, um, that they were alarmed. If you look over just one page to the left in Mark chapter 14, verses 33, verses 33, um, this is the night before the cross. This is where Jesus, he knew everything that was going to happen right before his betrayal. He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. You've heard that he was so um, scared and so nervous about everything that was going on. He's literally sweating drops of blood. And you can just feel the anguish that he's going through in verses four, uh, 33. And it says, he took Peter and James with him and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So just imagine the agony that Jesus is feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the agony that Jesus is experiencing in the Garden of Gethsemane before the betrayal. That's the same verb to describe the women here as they were alarmed. So it's not just that they're alarmed. It's that they are scared to death, freaking out, you know, don't know what to do. So when it says that they're alarmed, they are in fear, they are in wonder, they are in amazement, they are astonished, distressed, has gripped their souls. This alarm is greatly distressed and troubled. They're walking up there and the angel looks at them and he says this. This is, this is great. You know, this is just, this is going to work whenever you, people you know are greatly distressed. Um, it never works with my kids. So whenever they say they're greatly distressed and he looks at him, he says, do not be alarmed. 
oh, okay, everything's fine then. No big deal, right? I'm walking up here. I'm expecting to see Jesus. Two angels are sitting here. I'm scared to death as in fear and agony. And you're just telling me, don't be alarmed. Okay, that works. Um, I came here expecting to see the dead Savior. And I see two angels sitting here. Um, How was your morning? You know, not so good. Not so good. I'm kind of freaking out here. That's what's going on here. And so as they're scared, the angel tells them not to be alarmed. Now... As he tells them not to be alarmed, he says this amazing sentence is where um, if you're checking your timeline and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, likely um, some variation of these verses in one of the Gospels you've seen if you checked your timeline this morning like 25,000 times, right? These particular words have been over and over and over directed to all of us beautifully. This is what he says. You seek... I'm going to get to this, but notice what he does. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Let's just look at those two verbs. These two verbs are great gospel verbs. Crucified. He is risen. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So here in this particular moment, when he tells them not to be uh, alarmed, he points them to the absolute two most crucial verbs of the gospel message, namely crucified, that Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was dead. He was buried. But also after that, that he is risen, that he is raised to life. And because he defeated Satan, sin, and death, we also can be raised to life with him, be forgiven for our sins, and live eternally with him. So the two things that he uses are these two amazing verbs of crucified, but also on top of that, risen. So he points them to that. Now here's, here's where it gets awesome. Watch what the angel does. As they're absolutely distressed, What does he do? Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. The angel points the women not to an experience to feel, but instead instead he points them to evidence to see. Christianity has always been a rational religion. It's based on, it's not pointing you out to the subjective. The angel points them to the objective. He doesn't point them out to some mystical experience or some kind of magical encounter. Instead, they are directed specifically to Jesus. They're pointing to evidence. Look at Jesus who died by crucifixion a couple days ago by which you were witnesses. Remember Mary's? Also, he was buried in a place by which you were witnesses. Remember Mary? And now he is resurrected with which you are the first two witnesses, Mary's pointing them straight to evidence. He doesn't point them to some crazy experience. Instead, he points them to evidence. The angel invites them to know the one that they've already known. He points them to the empty tomb. He points them to the good news. He points them straight to the gospel. Gospel Gospel-centered before gospel-centered was cool. He points them to the undeniable evidence that the tomb is empty. Oh, that was a chance. We all, somebody could have said amen or praise God on that one because I just said the tomb was empty and we can, well, that sounds good. All right, but it, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Um, maybe you're going to, you're going you're gonna to get the field of any Sunday. This is it. This is it. I know that next Sunday we'll all be scared to death again and r- rightly maybe reserved, but this is the day. If you feel it, you know, yes, indeed. Come on, praise God. Hallelujah, amen. Whatever you feel, that's all right. The tomb is empty. Oh, there we go. That's, that's pretty good. So here's, here's, the two, here's the two imperatives that I want you to see in the text. There's, there's two imperatives directed straight toward the Marys, and thereby, since they're directed straight toward the women, straight towards us. Straight towards us. The first thing that the angel tells them is, see the evidence. Don't go see some ex- experience, some mystical thing. I'm pointing you straight to rational evidence. He was crucified right in front of you and you were witnesses. He was buried right here and you were witnesses and he is risen and you are the first witnesses. See the evidence. And so I want you, if you have been a Christian for 30 years, 20 years, five years, or not a Christian, I want you, or even young, shorter or longer, I want you to see some evidence. I'm going to do the same thing for us in a, in a in a compact kind of simple um, short time here. The first thing I'm going to do is give you a list of indisputable facts. Those that don't believe in Christianity still believe in these particular facts. These facts are indisputable. 
And then I'll have an, one smaller list, and I'm not going to be able to give them all, of more pieces of evidence that point to Jesus' bodily resurrection. First, the indisputable facts. He says, see the evidence. I want you to see the evidence. And let's just rehearse this if you heard this again. First, a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross by crucifixion. That happened. Second, Jesus was buried in a tomb very close to the crucifixion site. Next, the disciples that followed him for three years absolutely were hopeless on Friday and Saturday whenever Jesus died. You read any accounts, non-Christians as Joseph, they, they were freaking out and they were like, well, I guess it's all over. I guess it's all over. That just points to the fact that there was no hoax going on. They wouldn't be hopeless if they're planning the biggest hoax of, of history ever. Next, the disciples believed or I'm sorry, Jesus' tomb was discovered to be empty about 36 hours after his burial. Friday night to Saturday, Sunday, three days later, as our accounts say, Jesus' tomb was empty 36 hours later. These are indisputable facts. An indisputable fact is that after he was raised, or after the tomb was empty, we can at least say it that way, close to 500 people claimed to have seen him in all kinds of different manners, in groups and individually, by the seashore or on a road or all kinds of different manners, in houses, close to 500 people had real experiences that convinced them that Jesus was not dead and he was alive now. 500 people. Further, these experiences radically changed the way those hopeless disciples were acting on Friday, Saturday to crazy, bold people willing to even give up their life and be martyred on Sunday and following. Their lives were radical. So something happened to make them that radically different that they would even be willing to be martyred. Jesus' message, this is without fact, the entire time Jesus preached for three years, this is exactly what he said would happen even though it still took the disciples by surprise and they were hopeless. From the very beginning, he kept saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to be, come back to life. So this, this message is not anything that Christ had not been telling them the entire time. These are all indisputable facts. As soon as that happened, as soon as the tomb was empty, discovered to be empty, the people that saw him started telling this gospel message all over the city of Jerusalem. Now, it happened there. So if there was any kind of hoax, they certainly wouldn't have started in that city. Next. Um, this message is absolutely foundational, which I've said to the beginning of the Christian church. We all, as believers, say it's foundational to our religion that a man died and came back to life. This is, this is the next piece of evidence that is absolutely fact without a doubt. Centuries, centuries of Jewish history all of a sudden were just forsaken by these pe people that were Christians. For centuries, they decided our day of worship is always the Sabbath. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. And all of a sudden, something happened so radically in their lives that they decide we're going to change centuries of Jewish history and quit worshiping on Saturday as our Sabbath and start worshiping on Sunday as our Sabbath. Something crazy had to have happened in order for them to do that. For them... If there's anybody that's certainly locked into tradition, it would be Jewish history. And they say, we're going to change our day of worship to Sunday. And lastly, this is indisputable. James, Jesus' brother, who was an unbeliever the entire time of Jesus, when he saw Jesus' resurrected body, converted to Christianity and became a believer and was actually martyred for it. Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, killed them when he saw, had an encounter with Jesus, became a Christian, quit killing Christians, and started trying to make everyone become Christians. These are indisputable facts. All of these things piling up on each other. See the evidence. See the evidence. More, just a couple more pieces of evidence that point to, those are the indisputable facts. These are um, the rest of, I think, Great pieces of evidence that show that Jesus rose bodily. One I've already pointed to, the fact that women saw the tomb first. Um, 
If the church was trying to cook up a story, why in the world would they send women to be the first witnesses? It makes no sense whatsoever. It does not make their story more believable. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, it hurts their case. And the only reason then that it would happen is because that is the way it happened. That's the way God planned it. The next thing is these post-resurrection appearances. The New Testament for us records many occasions that lasted for up to 40 days of the bodily resurrected Jesus appearing to people at different times, at different occasions, not just one person, but even groups. Next one. This is one of the, I think, the biggest, hugest pieces of evidence to Jesus' body the resurrection. <clears throat> it took the disciples 50 days before they started preaching this message. If they really wanted it to take hold right away, why wait 50 days before they start doing it? The 40 days <clears throat> of Jesus being on earth before he ascended. And then the last 10 days are the 10 days before Pentecost. And as soon as Pentecost happened, when the Holy Spirit descended, that's whenever they started doing it. If you're trying to cook up a story, a believable story, you would start telling people right away, not 50 days later. The unexpected nature of Jesus' body resurrection, I think is huge. The disciples were completely caught off guard by this. They were hopeless on Friday and Saturday. And all of a sudden on Sunday, they completely changed the way they lived. I think that that is a huge example for us and a huge piece of evidence. Um, so why is the resurrection important? As we're pointing to the evidence, I just want to give you some brief things of why the resurrection is important. It verifies the truthfulness of the deity of Jesus Christ. It shows us that Jesus really is God because he has the power to defeat death himself. It tells us that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we also can be raised from the dead and live eternally with him. That's another reason. The next reason why it's important is that it shows God's approval of his own son, Jesus, and gives the validity to Jesus' message on how people are able to actually get to the Father, which he says in John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If that's the case, no one else has that right to say that. So anybody else, when they say they know the way to heaven, they're absolutely wrong. Only Jesus has the absolute validity to make the claim, I know how to get to heaven, I know how to get to the Father, and it's only through me. The resurrection gives Jesus that validity. The next one, it pledges victory over death. The resurrection shows that death no longer, death was defeated because Jesus beat the death out of it. And it's gone. I don't know how else to say it besides that. And here's the last one. The resurrection shows us that it shows us Jesus' absolute and ultimate power that he has. Jesus was not some kind of weak participant and everything's kind of passively, ha passively happening to him in his last days. He is the active agent in his death. Remember, he chose when he died, six hours on. Before any of this even happened, Jesus says in John 10, verse 17 and 18, I lay down my life that I may take it up. No one takes my life from me. Pilate tries. The, the Jews say crucify him. The person hammers me in. They, they, they whip me or whatever. Jesus says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I've received from my father in the resurrection puts on display and shows us Jesus' absolute an ultimate power he has to give his life. That's why the resurrection is important. So see the evidence. That's the first imperative for the Marys. And that's the first imperative. I just, I got more. I just don't have time. But I'd love to talk about, talk about it with you if you want. So here's the thing. If you're not a believer in Christ, as you're seeing this, there's only one, there's only one second imperative for you. The second imperative for you is not what would be next for the Christians. The only imperative you now have now is believe, trust Jesus, trust in him, confess your sins, receive forgiveness and be forgiven forever. Spend eternity with Jesus forever. That's the only imperative you have now if you don't know Christ. After the evidence says, see it and now trust in him. And then after that, you follow the second imperative. But for you that are Christians, here's the second imperative for you. It's right there. After that, in verse 7, first three words. After he said, see the place, he points to evidence. He tells them, but go tell. The second imperative for the, uh, from the angels to the Marys is now, after you've seen the, the, the um, evidence, go tell 
this particular message. After seeing the evidence, the women now have a new assignment. It's no longer anoint a dead body because that body's gone. He's in heaven now. Now, your new assignment is to start proclaiming the good news of a risen Lord and Savior who has left the tomb. That's your new imperative. And it says, go, this is where it gets really sweet. Go tell his disciples and Peter, of all the disciples that are named here, only one, Peter. This would be sweet news to Peter's ears who had denied him just a couple nights before three times. And he locked eyes with Jesus as the rooster crowed. This would be sweet news to Peter for them to come, to come tell them. And it says, actually, that they fled trembling and astonished um, because a trembling and astonished had actually seized them. Now, Mark, poor Mark, he, uh, he just ends really abruptly. And he doesn't give a, a great uh, kind of end. Um, when I was in seminary and we're studying Greek, they always say, go look at John. It's very simple. It's very good Greek. However, if you really want to learn Greek, don't go to Mark because Mark, his, his writing style is terrible. Remember, God allowed the writers to have their own personality and their own writing styles. And so Mark is, Mark's, you know, the equivalency of Mark's writing is like my writing. Like, it's just awful. Like, why can't I make sentences that make sense? That's Mark. It's just, if you notice, like, he's always using the word immediately. As much as a valley girl says like, Mark's like immediately, immediately, immediately. Like over and over and over, saying immediately. And he just, he answers like, well, they were astonished and they didn't have anything else. And they were afraid and they just kind of like, Mark, man, there's so much more. Like, Matthew says it. Why don't you just finish it all out? After you hear this, you're like, well, I guess that's it. You know, they, they said nothing to anyone and they're afraid. And I don't believe the rest is for Mark. So you're just like, well, good ending, Mark. You know, good, good writing style, Fudd. Uh, well, here's what happened. They were afraid and they didn't say anything. But if you look at Matthew, what happens is they're walking back to the other disciples, not ready to say anything. And who do they see on the way? Jesus. Matthew 28 it says that they came upon Jesus. They fell down at his feet and literally worshiped Jesus. And as they saw Je- the, the empty tomb made them scared, they encountered Jesus. And now they are filled with the boldness. Because it says that in, if you go to Luke, the, Luke's account, they went, after they had this encounter with Jesus, they went, to Luke, they went to all the disciples and said, the tomb's empty. The disciples are so excited. John and, and, and Peter take off back to there and go see. Um, as a matter of fact, if you read John, he kind of brags about how faster he is than Peter. I got there a whole lot faster. Um, and the old man's kind of huffing and puffing getting there. And it doesn't say exactly like that, but it's like that. Um, so the, you see here that these particular women, the two imperatives, see the evidence, go tell the message. It's the same thing for us. See the evidence. If you're not a Christian, believe. If you are a Christian or you just now became a Christian, go tell the message. Start with the people you know. They know the disciples and Peter, and then it works its way out in Jerusalem, and it goes out into Judea to all the ends of the earth. It's the same thing for us. Start with the people you know, and then keep working your way out. Go tell the message. So what, what is this message? I want to, uh, in these last little moments here, for us, help us all get a good summary statement of what this message is. Many of you know it, but we all need to hear this great gospel message as many times as we possibly can. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, has an entire kind of theological um, answer to the, to the resurrection. The entire chapter, um, he unpacks for us all the implications and truths of the resurrection. What I want to do is just look at the very beginning in verses 3 and 4 and look at the message. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In verse 1, he says, I would remind you of brothers of the gospel. So this is the gospel. This is the message. For I delivered to you, which is the gospel message, of what I first received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the message. First, Christ died died. He didn't faint. He didn't swoon. He didn't look dead. He died. And he was dead for up to 36 hours. Christ died. The second thing, though, is right there in that sentence, Christ died for our sins. And since he died for our sins, Christ died for sinners. 
Christ died for sinners. That means we individualize it. Christ died for you. You have to get to that point. Whenever I was in college, um, this is whenever I was at University of South Carolina, um, I, was, I was an awful driver. This is before Christy. I met Christy. After I transferred, I went to CSU. This is all pre-Christy, all PC here. So I was just an awful, awful, awful driver. I met Christy at 21. So 18 to 21, I was at University of South Carolina. Um, and <clears throat> my parents don't know this. I, I did my best to never tell them. Um, so uh, I have been pulled probably in my life by cops 25 times, at least 25 times. Many, I became an expert, actually, at talking my way out of tickets. I hope there's no cops hearing this. I, 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 learned, how to get, uh, I learned how to get warnings, like I would, just all kinds of ways. Like you act like you're lost. You, I mean, all, you can do all kinds of stuff, and they feel bad for you, and they just give you a, a uh, I, I've done it. I have done it. Ashamedly, I've done it. Um, just talk to them, all kinds of stuff, right? You do the sh- I, I literally faked shaking, trying to take my wallet out, just seeing if they would be, feel bad for me. And get, I know, y'all, listen, it's a safe place, right? I can tell you the truth about myself, right? So anyway, I, uh, I did everything I could to try to get out. I have had way more warnings than tickets. However, there was a 10-day spell where it did not go well. It did not go well. So in the state of South Carolina, if you run a stop sign, um, you get four points. Now, if you've been pulled over, you know at the offense code, it's either a 22 or a 42. That first number is the number of points. I know so much. I mean, literally, the offense code, that first number is the number of points you get. So anyway, um, you go to the judge, and you're like, please have mercy on me. Cut my points. Cut my pay. All this kind of stuff. And usually they do. Well, I found out that whenever you get pulled over for, uh, not speeding, but running a stop sign or running a stoplight, they won't drop points. So I ran a stop sign. I kind of breezed through it. Um, and got four points and like, I don't know, $200 or something crazy. Um, and then like four days later, ran a stoplight um, while speeding. And so, so I got six points. On, I got, actually, I got eight points, and they cut that, so I got six points. Um, I don't even know. It was like some astronomical figure. Probably to insure me was like $4,000 every six months. I'm surprised my parents still aren't billing me now. But so in this particular short frame of 10 days, I got 10 points put on my license. You've never maybe been there. You only get 12 in South Carolina. So I'm at the tip top. Um, and I have, this is, these, are, these three tickets are ones my parents do know about, right? And so they're rightly just as infuriated as they should be. And I find out that you can go to driver's class, bad driver's class or whatever they call it, at Midlands Technical College right on Rosewood, right beside Fort Jackson. And if you go and take these classes on Tuesday and Thursday nights, um, you can get half of your points taken away. You can go from 10 to 5 in two classes. I'm like, well, I got to do that because my parents, you know, they're, they're pretty mad. Um, and this is, I want you to let your imagination run wild right now with the kind of people that you think are in bad driver's class on Tuesday, Thursday night at Midlands Technical College in kind of the bad part of town. And what you're picturing, that's exactly it. Like it was, that's exactly what's there. And I remember walking into the room, sitting there being like, oh my goodness, look at all these, what am I doing with these people? These people are crazy. Look at, I mean, let your, this is that, like, wow. Scared to death, kind of, like hoping I'm not going to get shivved in the back on the, you know, at the break. I'm just kidding. Maybe not. But so I'm about halfway through the Tuesday night class and all of a sudden the truth hit me. Oh no, I am one of these people. (laughs) Oh no, just as crazy as these people are, I'm one of them. I'm probably worse. I probably have the most points out of everybody. I'm crazier than all of them. And I say that to say, This is exactly the point that we have to come to. When we look around at sinners and we always try to say, they're the crazy people. They're the ones that choose to sin. We have to realize and come to that point that says, I am one of those people. I am a sinner. I have willingly chosen to rebel against God. I'm not one of the far off kind of looking at them and saying, oh, those poor people, they need Jesus. I am one of those people. Desperate. Far more worse than my imagination could even conceive. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for you. And you have to put yourself into the place to realize, I am one of those people that he died for. 
he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I am one of those people. We are. Christ died for you. So as we see this message, Christ died. Christ died for sins. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for you. But then the rest of the message is awesome. Christ was raised. Being raised means that he defeated Satan, sin, and death. And because of that, he defeated them for us. Therefore, all of our sins, which we have rightly all now surmised that we have to say we are guilty of, all of our sins can be absolutely forgiven because he died for us. And when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now, because of that, we will spend eternity with him. How does this happen then? This is the message. How can you who are not believers actually um, take hold of this belief? How can you take hold of salvation, the good news? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us. This is how you can be forgiven of your sin and become a Christian. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, it's faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. So you believe with your heart and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Confess, I really am one of those people. I really am a sinner and I really do need forgiveness. And so you say, Christ, forgive me of my sin. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. Come into my life and save me. And now you will live. That's all it is. And it's not even like you have to say the words. It's the belief that saves. You can... You can say the words as wrongly as it comes out. If your heart is believing that, that's what saves you. It's not some magical prayer. It's the belief. And I'm saying right now, those that don't know Jesus, right now trust him. Right now under the sound of my voice, believe and say, yes, Jesus. And you're a believer. And you are saved forever. And if you take that Romans 10 and couple it with Jesus where he says, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have the message. You have the good news. You have the gospel. Unbeliever, believe today. Believer, go tell the message. New believer, perhaps right now. Now, go tell the message. Those are our two imperatives. See the evidence. I'm not pointing you to some magical experience. I'm pointing you to real rational, objective evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the man who was also God, who defeated Satan, sin, and death. And then after that, believe and go tell. Go tell. We're going to actually have baptisms today. I'm super pumped for Jenna Lee and Andres. They have just been, uh, become Christians here recently. Jack, uh, he's an elder here at Remedy. He has been... Um, given the privilege of working over at Winthrop, and he has been uh, meeting and talking with them, and he has had, over the course of the year, he, he baptized Austin first service, and he's baptizing two more today. Easter Sunday baptisms. I was, I was baptized on Easter, so we're in the little club. Y'all aren't. Anyway, uh, maybe you are. Maybe you are. Um, maybe you were baptized on Easter. So here's the deal. Baptism, as we're going to see this, is a demonstration of this exact message we've been talking about. They're going to come into the water. They're going to go down symbolizing the death that Jesus endured for us. And they're going to come back out of the water being resurrected, symbolizing the resurrection um, that he had as he defeated Satan, sin, and death. So um, when we do that, and listen, y'all can just go after it. This is where in the most 1 Corinthians 14 orderly fashion we get wild. This is where we clap, we scream, we're like, woohoo, woo, raise the light, like whatever you want to say, it's fine. Jack's got it all under control at that point. Everything's good. But when someone's coming out of the water, you know, it says in, in heaven that when someone comes to know Christ, the angels are rejoicing. They've already come to Christ, but we're going we're gonna to try to look at that and say, we're going we're gonna, to, as much as we can, mirror that right here as they are baptized. Baptism does not save. It is a symbolic act of what they've already been saved. They've already placed their faith in Christ. They're going to give their testimony videos here in just a second. You'll see them, and then Jack will baptize them. But this is what I want to close with. Um, a man named Melito. Um, he was from a place called Sardis. This is one of the very first earliest Easter sermons, um, uh, remnants of an Easter sermon we have. It was written around 167 AD. Um, I want to close with a, a piece of his sermon. And it's, these dudes could preach. I mean, they could get after it. Um, I want to read this. And the, the title of, of this is, This is Jesus. 
So I'm going to close with this and then I'll pray. When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity and had suffered for the sake of the sufferer, he had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned and had been judged for the sake of the condemned and buried for the sake of the one who was buried, he rose up from the dead and cried aloud with his voice. This is what he says. Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who has been entombed. Who is my opponent? I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off the man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come, all the families of men, come. You who have been befouled with sins and receive forgiveness of your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am your Passover of your salvation. I am the land which was sac- lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you to the heights of heaven. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth. Who in the beginning created man. Who is proclaimed through the law and the prophets who became human via the virgin who was hanged upon the tree who was buried in the earth who was resurrected from the dead who ascended to the heights of heaven who sits at the right hand of God who has authority to judge and to save everything through whom the father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age this is the alpha and the omega this is the beginning and the end the indescribable beginning and the incomprehensible end This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus, my favorite. This is the General. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father. To Him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. That's so good. I'm going to pray and then we are going to see the testimonies in Jackson to baptize. And then we're going to sing the most exuberant type of singing you've ever experienced in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the resurrection, the true resurrection of Christ that saves us. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would put their faith right now. They would come talk to me after church if they have questions. They would talk to the person they came with if they have questions and that you would right now save them. You would right now regenerate. And we would love to hear the stories of people meeting Christ this morning. Thank you so much for Jenna Lee and Andres. Thank you for their salvation. Thank you for the faith that you've granted them in Jesus. And they are saved and secure forever in Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit and now given new life in Christ. Absolutely secure because of the resurrection. God, thank you for Jack who has been sowing seeds in their lives this entire year, and gets to see the fruition, the altar fruition. He gets to baptize them on Easter Sunday. Praise God for that. Praise God. We are just so, so thankful. Be with us now as we continue in worship by seeing baptisms and as we worship in song. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus.